This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello, and welcome to Potent Audibles. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each week we start with analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive into a question or category from one of those episodes. And we wrap it up with a quiz. So this week, we are talking about the week of Monday, March 30 through Friday, April 3rd. On Monday, March 30th, we get the contestants Monia Day, a health journalist from Santa Monica, California. Kyle Dahlman, a political recruiter and trainer from Cincinnati, Ohio. And Khalila Walters, an attorney from Danville, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings total 2000 $399. And in the Jeopardy round, we get the categories golf, tea time with tea in quotation marks, greens, four, spelled like the number, birdies, and the masters, in parentheses, of art. So we've got a whole golf theme going in this round. Um, oh. Which, fortunately... Did not actually have much golf content, because I don't know much golf content. Oh. This whole podcast is like a list of things that I'm not proficient in. I feel like that's um, time spent in trivia for me. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we did get actually, actually some, some really good variety, even though mm-hmm. all of the categories were uh, plays on, on golf. Mm-hmm. They started out in the tea time category at the top and went went down, and uh, we found the daily double at clue number three in that category. It's at the $600 level. Monia finds it, and she wagered uh, 1000 even though she only had 400 at the time. It was only the third clue, so she may- wagered the maximum. Uh, and she got the clue... From the name of a Greek actor and dramatist, it's a more formal name for an actor. And she correctly identified what is a thespian. Mm-hmm. I was once a member of the of a, of a thespian troupe. Oh, yeah? In high school. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised somehow. Well, you know, I, I played in the pit for the musicals mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and then I was like, I want to try being on stage. And so I did, and that was fun. Then I got out of high school and I I lost all of the desire to be on stage as a like an actor <laughs> in any way shape or form. I don't know, it just maybe it's cuz my, you know, it was no longer just kind of like palling around with my friends, but I just like that all dried up and I was like, "No, I'm totally cool playing the music mm-hmm. uh, you know, underground where no one can see me." <laughs> <laughs> I've played in some pit orchestras myself in my day. Mhm. Cuz you play violin, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I played in the pit orchestra for the um, the Gilbert and Sullivan Society at my college. Ooh. Um, yeah, as well as a few other a few other pit orchestras, sort of sprinkled throughout. But yeah, quite a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. Nice. Mm-hmm. I was surprised in the uh, Masters of Art category at the six hundred dollar level. Uh, the clue was one painter of this mother and child combo was dubbed Master of the Embroidered Foliage, and the Correct answer there, Monia got it, was the Madonna and Child. I was trying to think what they could be asking for because I sort of mentally ruled out Madonna and Child because 
it seemed redundant with mother and child combo. I wouldn't have expected yeah. the repetition of the word child. Yeah, because really the the wording of the clue, one like this mother and child combo, it seems like it's asking for like Mary and Jesus as the correct response. Yeah, there. maybe maybe they would have accepted Mary and Jesus. Maybe they meant to get Mary and Jesus. But referring but. to it as the Madonna and child, which is like the name of the work, acceptable. You can't say, yeah, yeah you can't say it's incorrect. Right. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Kalila is at 3,000, Kyle is in the lead at 5,000, and Monia is in third place at 2,200. So she picks from the categories 20th century books, vice presidential quotes, up the river, abstract nouns, TV before and after, and fet offensive. Mm-hmm. F-E-T-E. And Kyle pretty much took off in this round. Um, no daily doubles were uncovered until clue number 27. So he was, you know, just on knowledge and buzzer dominance, um, was able to to get a pretty solid lead. Mm-hmm. Particularly from the, uh, the $2,000 level. He was the only one to get any of the $2,000 clues correct, and he got three of them. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a $6,000 swing in his favor. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought I saw a little smirk from him um, at the $1,600 level of 20th century books. The clue was the prologue to this Ralph Ellison novel says, people refuse to see me. Um, that is invisible man. And often in the green room when they're going over kind of rules in the morning briefing, they will use the example of invisible man versus the invisible man as one instance where you really do need to get the articles correct, right? If it's, if there's, if there's a separate work that's differentiated by the articles, then you have to have your articles correct. Um, If not, then you don't. Am I remembering that rule correctly? Yeah. If there's nothing else that it could be confused with, by using an incorrect article, then they'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. But like, but that is a pretty clear example. The Invisible Man is a starkly different novel mm-hmm. <laughs> than Invisible Man. It sure is. I thought the whole TV before and after category was delightful. Uh, those were all, of course, before and afters of two D. I think two TV shows for all of them, right? Yep. yep. Yes. Uh, so we had the good Doctor Who. I would watch that, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, Will and Grace and Frankie, I would definitely watch that. Although, actually, I haven't watched any of the Will and Grace reboot. Orphan Black uh, Mirror. Orphan Black is on my list. Black mm-hmm. Mirror, I enjoy, although you were saying last week that you really don't like dark, heavy shows, so stay away from it. It's it's one of many things that I think I will want to watch that at some point. yeah. It, it's right good, now. but it's it's very intense. Yeah. Finishing out the category, there was uh, NYPD Blue Bloods and Miami Vice Principals. <laughs> That'd be, that would be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We find Daily Double number two as the 27th pick in vice presidential quotes at the $1,600 level. Monia finds it and wagers... 6,000 of her 9,400. At that point, Kyle is at 15,400, so she's aiming to tie him. Uh, Kalila is trailing at 4,200. 
She gets the clue. In 1959, he told Khrushchev, it was better to discuss the merits of washing machines than the strength of rockets. Uh, she can't come up with any guess. Uh, the correct response there is Richard Nixon. Yep, 1959 being the indicator there. Yeah. That vice presidential quotes category gave them a whole bunch of trouble. The only one they got correct was the $400 level. It's Aaron Burr, uh, sir. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Every time they don't give a Hamilton quotation, I'm like, that was a missed opportunity. I mean, you were there. Were Were you still there? Yeah, yeah, you were there because that was uh that was the day the show before yours. Um, when Christine responded with to the correct response to one of the questions was the love boat, and she sang it like the song, mm-hmm. and they had her re-record her response as just a regular like flat, you know, yeah. saying the love mm-hmm. boat because they weren't sure that they would uh, be able to use it because of copyright. So yeah. I imagine, I don't know how litigious Lin-Manuel Miranda is. He's welcome to come on our show and tell us about it. Yeah, uh, we would like to know. Please. Should, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the people absolutely. want to know. Yeah. Um, from, from him, of course. Uh, but All maybe. All several dozen of our listeners. Yeah. There are tens of us. <laughs> <laughs> there are dozens of us. Dozens! Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think they probably want to avoid that issue. Yeah, but fair. maybe maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they do it just to bother you because we are pretty sure at this point that the writers are only writing clues for us. Yes, so. audience of two. Yep, indeed. We get the third daily double only a couple picks later. It's actually the last pick of the round. Uh, pick number twenty nine. It's at the eight hundred dollar level in the twentieth century books category. Monia finds it as well. And she bets it all. She had dropped down significantly from that previous missed daily double. So she was at 3400 So she's looking to double up and try to get back into it if, if mm-hmm. she can. But really, mathematically, Which, there's not an option there. But Yeah, I mean, even if they'd ended up revealing the final clue and Kyle had rung in and missed it... Uh, if Khalil gets it right and then Kyle misses the final clue and then Monia gets the rebound he'll still have a lock game. Yeah. yeah. So, but still, I mean, why not go for it? You know, yep. uh, she gets the clue. What is fire? It's a mystery, says this novel. It's real beauty is that it destroys responsibility and consequences. And she correctly identifies that that is Fahrenheit 451, 451. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, we have Kyle with a lock game with 15,400. Mm. Monia is in second place um, with 6,800. Kalila has 4,200. And we get the final Jeopardy category, advertising characters. We get the clue, Jack Keel's team created this animal character, rolled out in 1980, the year of the USA's highest recorded murder rate. And this came up in our game, Kyle. It did. Yeah. Yeah, I really wanted it, but I think... Did Raymond Ray- get it? Raymond get it. Got yeah. it. I I had not actually. This this is something that I learned while standing on a Jeopardy podium. Um, oh, I, I just I really wanted to say this. Like the clue came up, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be awesome!" And then Raymond got in before me, and I was like, "How? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so uh, Kalila has wagered zero um, and has what is uh, who is Scooby Doo? Monia has wagered everything uh, six thousand eight hundred. Why not? I guess yeah. um, and has the correct response. Who is McGruff? Kyle has wagered zero dollars. <laughs> And has clearly he's got the right character in mind because he has written who is Ruff McGruffin, which sounds like maybe a mashup of McGruff the crime dog with Doc, Doc McStuffins. <laughs> I don't know why that tickles me so much. <laughs> Ruff McGruffin. <laughs> or like HR Puffin stuff feels like uh feels like it would fit in here. Just all also, mashed up. Like into it's one. just yeah. all yeah. Um yeah. But I mean he could put whatever he wanted because he had a lot game, so Right, yes. At at a zero wager, so it really doesn't matter except for his pride. I don't know. Ruff McGruffin sounds good. Let's go with that. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he is our champion going into yeah. Tuesday. And you know, I just, I just gotta say, it, it warms my heart to hear the words. Kyle has a lock game. Mm, it, it just. Yeah. Mm, mm. Anyway, you guys don't need to revel in that with me, even though I know it also warms everyone else's hearts too. Of course, yes, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. So yeah. going into Tuesday, we have Leanne Gonzalez Singer, a legal secretary from New York, New York. J.R. Mineta, a Dean of Students from Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, and Kyle Dahlman, a political recruiter and trainer from Cincinnati, Ohio, whose one-day cash winnings total $15,400. And we have the categories Animal Facts, Possessive Phrases, Baseball Lingo, Similar Brand Names, Its Nearest Neighbor Nation, and Add a Letter. So each response will be two words, which ended up ended up being pretty funny <laughs> uh, later on. They jump right into the nearest neighbor nation category, which I I really enjoyed because uh-huh. it, it's a it's a geography category, but it's also like it's a two step geography question because you got to think about where the country is, and then you got to think about all the countries around it and figure out which one is actually closest, which for a couple of them was just like what does it share a land border with but right. uh, for the most part it it took a little bit of thought so yes yeah really good gets on that one i thought mm-hmm. um some some of them came to came to me easily um the 800 and 1000 dollar levels i would not have known mm. i think no matter how oh oh i'm just actually looking at a map for the 800 dollar level yeah Gosh, Trinidad and guess- Tobago <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I it's guess, very close to Venezuela. I guess it really pays to look at like a map of the whole world and not just like split it into sections and look at the sections. Right. Um, yeah, especially especially the the Caribbean and the like the the West Indies and Greater Antilles and Lesser Antilles and all the all the islands between North and South America. Mm-hmm. Oof, there's a lot of there there are a lot of them there and. Yeah, you got to be real intentional about it. Um, I, re- I I learned that in um, in grad school. We are in an ethnomusicology class. We looked at calis- calypso music for a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is from Trinidad. So yeah, 
And then the Gambia, the Gambia is entirely, well, not entirely, it's surrounded on three sides by Senegal, and then it has a, a coastal border mm-hmm. uh, with the Atlantic. Yeah, I, uh, that one didn't come to me either, and I didn't have a good map of that part of Africa in my head. and thought, well, how can you pick one? You know, I assumed it, I assumed that it bordered mm-hmm. more than one country, um, which, right. you know, if, if something it borders more than one country, it's not, not a candidate for this category. Right. Um, but yeah, good category. We get the Daily Double as the 20th pick at the $1,000 level of similar brand names. Leanne finds it and wagers 1000 of her 2200 Kyle has 3400 and JR has 4400 I would have made it a true Daily Double at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, especially because this has been a pretty gettable category. Um mm-hmm. And uh, out of an abundance of caution, that's a phrase we use now, they uh, <laughs> they spent the first couple of clues giving the almost identical brand names because uh, because they'd been chided about making sure to give both words for the add a letter category. Mm-hmm. So Kyle had given what is Whopper and Whoppers for the 200. JR had given what is Domino and Dominoes for the 400. At that point, Alex told them they could stop doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, Leanne gets this clue. When you eat this brand's bars, make sure they're the chocolate ones, not the moisturizing ones. And the correct response there is Dove, two separate companies with the same name, making chocolate and soap, respectively, Mm -hmm. Um, or skincare, like bath products. Yeah. 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 So Leanne gets it correct and moves up to 3,200. Still third place, but much closer. And Leanne has several... Several more correct responses over the remaining clues of the round. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, JR is in the lead with 6,400. Leanne has moved up to second place with 5,800. Kyle is in third at 4,400. And they get the double Jeopardy categories. Remember James Garfield with an exclamation point. Missing pieces, movie title females, plays and playwrights, behind the TV and radio call letters, and C before E after I, which is possibly the most convoluted way of saying that the letters I, C, E will come up in that order in each correct response. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started the round with a triple stumper at the $400 level. Not just a triple stumper, but a triple nag or whatever we call it. So we call it whenever yeah. when all three of them yeah, get it let's, wrong. Yeah, let's call, let's call it a triple nag. Yeah. It's in missing pieces, and the clue is English first-person singular pronouns and 1970 song title words. I, me, and blank, and and they're looking for mine. Kyle guesses what is we, JR guesses what is myself, and Leanne guesses what is us. Only one of those is a first-person singular pronoun. Right. (laughs) I I was, like, I understand that... (laughs) You don't have a lot of time to think things out, but like we and us is not singular. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> also, you know, like like no no shame, you know, like you're standing mm-hmm. up there on the podium with all of your previously accrued knowledge, kind of evaporating under the lights. Yeah, yeah. desperately clawing <laughs> its way out of your head. <laughs> it goes out the ears. Yeah. Just a- yep. any way that it can. Mm-hmm. You just hope it comes out your mouth at the right time. 
so yeah, no shame. But uh, but yeah, the correct response there is I mean mine, which I guessed, although I didn't know the 1970 song title. I thought the whole remember James Garfield category was um, kind of fun because nobody remembers James Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. The um, they they held off until the very end of the round for those five clues, mm-hmm. which makes sense. And there were the only ones that were correctly got were the four hundred and eight hundred dollar uh, clues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of which because, like, the $800 clue was not about James Garfield. It was about Herodotus. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will say I got them all right. Nice job. Thank you. I did not know which state Chickamauga is in. Mm, yeah. It's Georgia. It's Georgia. It is, George. it is yeah. Georgia. We get the second Daily Double uh, pretty late in the round, it's at pick number 23. It's in the Behind the TV and Radio Call Letters category at the $1,200 level. Kyle uncovers it, and he wagered 6400 of his 6400 He went all in. He was he was in third place, a pretty distant third place. Leanne was up at 20200 so he had to make a move just to get in contention. It was the right wager, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there yeah. was no other choice there. Um, anything less would be like, why bother? And he gets the clue. Chicago's WLS once stood for World's Largest Store to promo this store, which then owned the station. Uh, he guessed Neiman Marcus, but when someone, I imagine, who is not from Chicago thinks of Chicago, they probably think of the Sears Tower. Right. And Sears is the correct response. Now called the Willis, or, or now, no, I guess it's always been called the Willis Tower. Is that right? I'm looking no, it up and it says colloquial Sears Tower. Well, oh, that's... It's na- oh, it's named for 36 years. Okay, so now called the Willis Tower. Yes. Now yeah. called the Willis Tower will always be called the Sears Tower, I think. Yeah. Or at least for a while. Yeah. So he drops to zero. Not too long after that, as the very last clue of the round, he uncovers Daily Double number three. And at that point, he is at negative 400. So he is uh, wagering basically for an opportunity to participate in Final Jeopardy. JR is at 11,200, Leanne at 20,200. It's at the $2,000 level of Remember James Garfield. He gets the clue, Garfield served nine terms in Congress as one of these alliterative Republicans who wanted equality for African Americans. And you can see him struggling for it, and he eventually says, what is a know-nothing? The correct response is radical Republicans. That was a heartbreaking moment, I thought. Yeah, because he was, yeah, you could see him trying to get there and... The only thing he could come up with was no nothings, which is like the the right kind of time period. Yeah, and alliterative. Um, and alliterative. And if yeah, if you can't get to anything else, it's the only really alliterative thing you can think of. Um, mm-hmm. Although the no nothings were uh, a bit, they were on a on a different different side of the political spectrum there. Right. Yes. So I really felt for him having to leave the stage for final jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that was the last 
clue of the round, like you said. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Kyle is at negative 2,400. Uh, JR is at 11,200. And Leanne is at 20,200. So it is not a lock game, although it is close. Mm-hmm. They get the final Jeopardy category, Geographic Namesakes. And the clue, a county in England has an ocean coastline roughly twice as long as the 18 miles of this U.S. state named for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of them get it correct. Uh, I imagine you also got it correct. I did, you know, yes. From that part of the country. Mm-hmm. I did too. Nice. Which felt pretty good about. Uh, it is New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember this because of my wife's family. They're all from New England, mostly the Boston area. But mm-hmm. uh, I have gone with them to the New Hampshire coast. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, the first time we did, I was like, New Hampshire touches the ocean? It does, and yeah. Then I, it's then got I checked those the map. Nice, it's got those nice straight borders with Maine, that, mm-hmm. that sort of border that runs north-south. And with Massachusetts, the border runs east-west. And then down there in that like lower right-hand corner... It touches the ocean just a little bit. Portsmouth is there. Yep. Yeah. Got to got to got to be a buffer between Massachusetts and Maine because you know how they get. <laughs> yeah. But Leanne made a cover bet. I mean, basically a cover bet. It wasn't like a one dollar cover bet, but mm-hmm. she she made a cover bet to uh, ensure that she would win if she got it right, which she did. So she is our champion going into Wednesday. That's right. And on Wednesday, we get the contestants Cami Narayan, an educational advocate from St. Louis, Missouri, Hammond Mehta, a blogger from Naperville, Illinois, and Leanne Gonzalez-Singer, a legal secretary from New York, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total $22,500. And we get the Jeopardy categories FBI Quantico, Going Pronoun, Nations in the Native Tongue, Potent potable analogies. This was like my dream category. Uh, <laughs> uh, dream boats. Um, they will provide the name of a ship. Uh, the contestants are supposed to respond with the literary work in which it appears. And Hugh Jackman. Good old Hugh. Yeah, as I said, I thought the potent potable analogies category was fun. I got all all of them. I think. I think I got all of them. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So, for example, olive is to martini as this vegetable is to Gibson. Um, a Gibson is garnished with a pearl onion. Mm-hmm. Um, they did pretty well with them. Oh, no, sorry. They missed the 800,000. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cammy was close, but not close enough with the $1,000 clue. Um, vodka is to Russia as soju is to this country. She guessed what is Japan, but that's Korea. I did not know that. Yeah. Probably North or South Korea, I guess. Um, yeah, it might it might predate the split. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I assume it does. I just some something about being asked for a country and responding Korea. I, I'm like, wait, 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 not quite a country, technically, right, right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep, we got the first daily double fairly late in the round. It was pick number twenty six in the dream boats category at the eight hundred dollar level. Leanne found it. She wagered. 1500 of her 5000 she was in a pretty good lead at that time uh hemant was at 2200 and cami at 1600 uh and she got the clue the astrea 
A Roman Slave Galley from an 1880 novel. So again, this is giving you the boat and they're asking you for the work that it was in. Uh, and she guessed what I guessed, which was Amistad, but the correct response is Ben-Hur. You probably don't need me to chide you, but Amistad... I know, is about not Roman slaves, I know. Well, I mean, it was a... Was was there a was there a work titled Amistad in the 19th I have, century? I don't think so. I have I think no there was idea. A, I think there was a historical occurrence with the ship, the Amistad. Right. Um, but and I there know. was a movie made of it, but... I, right. That was much later, though. Well, I understand the movie was not from 1880, thank you. Yeah, yeah I get that. But it was the only thing I saw Slave yeah. Galley, and I was oh, wrangling. Oh, yeah, okay, like, I, guess, I guess I get like, that, yeah. That that was the only pointer I had for for this, and so I was like, I don't know, Amistad. Yeah, okay, so, so Ben-Hur was a phenomenally popular novel. Um, like, people have no idea now how popular it was. That is accurate. <laughs> yes. People do not know. <laughs> like, <laughs> na- namely yeah. me. Yeah. Later later adapted into a film tra- starring Charlton Heston. Um, Ben-Hur is a Roman slave and, like, lives at the same time as Jesus. Anyway, so yeah, I, I, Ben-Hur came right to me, as you can probably gather from this small, yeah, small deep dive I've provided. I've, I've given you the bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Leanne and I got it wrong, so she drops down, but she's still in the lead. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Leanne is still in the lead. She's at 3,100. Hemant is at 2,200, and Cami is at 1,800. And we get the double Jeopardy categories Planetary Science. We're on a crusade. Gifts for animal lovers. Recent plays from real life. American Women, and Crossword Clues J. Mm-hmm. We only had one Daily Double revealed in this round. Um, four clues went unrevealed. They were the 800 and 1200 in We're on a Crusade and the 800 and 2000 in Planetary Science. So there was a Daily Double hiding under one of those. We'll never know. Mm-hmm. And the only Daily Double of the round was found as the 13th pick at the $1,200 level of recent plays from Le- Real Life. Leanne found this one as well and wagered 2,500 to Hemant's 10,200 and Cammie's 1,000. She got the clue, the public theater's mother of the maid is about Isabel, the mom of this martyr. I was delighted to see this one (laughs) and I bet all of our listeners got it because Isabel is the mother of Joan of Arc, whom we talked about two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I got it. Uh-huh. I was like, that seems familiar. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Leanne got it as well, bringing her up to uh, 9,200. So pretty close um, mm. in second place. She and Hemant traded back and forth. He had kept the lead for, for a good long while. Um, but by at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, she is in a lead by the tiniest margin, 14,400. One thousand at that point, and yeah, Cammy just couldn't get going. Yeah. She'd get one right, she'd get one wrong. It just, yeah, yeah. They get the category Canadian geography, and the clue Canada's Four Corners Monument marks the junction of the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and these two prairie provinces. Cammy has guessed what are Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, that's incorrect. 
and she's wagered everything, so she drops to zero. Hemet has wagered two hundred and one dollars uh, to get one dollar ahead of where Leanne currently is. Uh, he has written what are Newfoundland and Labrador. He's in the maritime provinces, um, not the provinces. Yeah, and in fact, um, that is the same province. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> indeed, it is. Um, Leanne also, like Cami, has written what are Alberta and Saskatchewan. The correct response, which I got, is uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously they got it wrong. Doesn't mean they don't necessarily know their Canadian geography all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard time with it because I kept forgetting that the that Yukon is farther west mm. of Northwest Territories. Got to remember that to push you back over. But I did get yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Hammond is our winner with thirteen thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yes, with a great second place bet. Yep, that is just what to do from that position. Good job, Hemet. Going into Thursday, we have Felicity Flesher, a screenwriter from Studio City, California. Tiffany Eisenhower, a physician's assistant from Freeport, Maine. And Hemet Meta, a blogger from Naperville, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total $13,999. And we get the Jeopardy! categories, Famous Names, 11 Letter Words, the Academy of Country Music Awards, Kids Books en Español, This and That, and Let's Skirt the Issue. Maybe it's because I have kids, but the uh, Kids Books en Español was a, it was a fun category for me. I, I thought so too. Yeah. A few of them came to me before I could understand why they were coming to me. Uh, at the $600 level, La Telerania de Carlotta, I said, what is Charlotte's Web? And then I started trying to work backwards to, like, why did that pop into my head? And it's because Carlotta is uh, yeah. close enough to Charlotte that the connection had just sort of happened uh, at some kind of subconscious level. Mm-hmm. We had a tricky situation at the $1,000 level of that clue. Um, Felicity yep. rang in and said, what is the snow day? Alex misheard and and mistakenly accepted the response but then had to uh pretty quickly um so i think the judges they like he has i think an earpiece um the judges corrected him uh it is the snowy day so not close enough um and ended up oh i didn't read the clue no which was uh by ezra jack keats un dia de nieve but yeah good category we get the daily double as the 20th pick at the $400 level of Let's Skirt the Issue. Hammett finds it and wagers 1000 of his $1,800. Uh, Tiffany has 2400 at that point, and Felicity has 200 He gets the clue, British designer Mary Quant named this 60s skirt after her favorite car. He clearly had no idea and guessed what's an Etzel. Alex um, gave him some grief because the clue called for a British designer... Uh, the correct response here is a mini skirt. I got it, but I can see how it would be hard to think of because mini sounds like it's just a description of the skirt. Right, because it is um, a short skirt. It's a, it's a short skirt. It's like smaller than the other skirts. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Hammond has 2,600. Tiffany is in the lead with 4,000. And Felicity has 800 as we go into the double Jeopardy round. With the categories, the Vietnam War. Books of the Bible, Questions and Answers, 
old names on the map, movie monsters, and it has three eyes. I in quotation marks.、Mm-hmm. And once again, we have a few unrevealed clues,、uh, three、yep. unrevealed clues、um, the $1,600 and $2,000 level of the Vietnam War and the $2,000 level of books of the Bible. And one of them was hiding the third daily double、um, because、yep. we, again, only had one daily double in this round. Yep, we did. A few triple stumpers in this round, too, which might have contributed to the, the lack of time. Mm hmm. Three of them were the $2,000 levels. One of them I think we've talked about on the podcast Old Names on the Map. I loved that category.、Mm-hmm. The $2,000 clue was in 1759, Samuel Johnson wrote a tale about a prince of this place, the old name for Ethiopia, and that、mm-hmm. is Abyssinia, which、mm-hmm. I feel like I've talked about before. Yeah, I think that's come up. That's a, that seems like, a, seems like a more common trivia, trivia thing. Recently,、mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen that a few times. Yeah.、Uh, we also get the Daily Double in that category. It's just above that at the $1,600 level. Felicity found it and she wagered 2,000 of her $5,600.、Uh, she was in second place.、Uh, Hemant was at $7,800, so she was trying to get up close to him. And the clue was what was once the protectorate. Of Bechuanaland is now this African country that also starts with a B.、Mm-hmm. Uh, she took some time to think about it and probably just went through a list of African countries that she could think of.、Uh, and she correctly identified what is Botswana, which、uh, I know it's been a little while since, since that episode, but I did talk about that、uh, when I talked about the Boer Wars. Yes, I remember. I, through that research, discovered that. Botswana used to be called Bechuanaland. I was like, that is a weird name.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it stuck with me. Yeah. I was bummed we never saw the $2,000 clue of books of the Bible.、Um, But、uh, the contestants did pretty well with the others, other, other clues. The 400 asked versus like the Shuamites were three score and 4,000 and 400. Explain this book's name. That is the book of numbers.、Um, mm-hmm. We had a Pretty classic trivia mix up at the $800 level. St. John experienced this in a cave on the Isle of Patmos and is said to have written the Bible book of the same name there. Tiffany rang in and said, What is Revelations? It is the book of Revelation, no S. Yep. Yep. So, the revelation、uh, of John. Yes. Or to so, John, I guess.、Mm-hmm. So Hemant got the rebound on that one.、Um, we had a question about Acts at the $1,200 level. And then at the $1,600 level,、um, the Bible book named for this woman is read during Shavuot, the holiday observed 50 days after Passover. That came up in a quiz that I wrote way back、uh, mm-hmm. when, when the podcast was new.、Um, way back. <laughs> like, like four or five months ago now.、Uh, yeah. In the before times. Anyway.、Uh, <laughs> back in vampire times, as my wife says. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, I got it correct, as, as did Hemant. He rang in and correctly responded, Ruth. But I was not confident initially and then had a second to think about it and remember that、uh, the other biblical book named for a woman is Esther, which is read during Purim. So、mm. I got it by, by elimination. Yep. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round,、uh, Hemant is in the lead at 9,400. 
Tiffany is at six thousand, and Felicity is at seventy six hundred. Uh, so it's a it's really anyone's game, and they get the category classic American novels, and the clue is Lady Duff Twisden was the basis for a character in this 1926 novel set partly in Spain. And I know we've talked about this author mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> more, more than once. Did we edit sure. out the part where we talked about this author? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe. Anyway, Tiffany wagered $59.99 all but a dollar. Uh, And she wrote, what is a farewell to arms, which Mm -hmm. I have talked about on this podcast as being a very difficult book for me to read Mm. for reasons. Uh, But that is set during World War One in Italy, not Mm -hmm. in Spain. Um, Felicity, we had wagered everything, which, you know. Uh, Not the correct strategic decision. Yeah, um, but she correctly responded, what is the sun also rises? So it is a Hemingway work, but not Farewell to Arms. Um, Mm -hmm. So she doubles up, and Hemet did not get there. He guessed what is the Great Gatsby. So Mm -hmm. that means that Felicity is our champion for going into Friday. Yes. A smaller wager would have been strategically better. You have to really, I mean, I, I guessed The Sun Also Rises, but all I was able to do is narrow it down to almost certainly Hemingway and then choose among the Hemingway titles I knew of. Yeah, I saw a set in Spain and I was like, well, if it's not The Sun yeah. Also Rises, then I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, c- I couldn't remember the settings for his various novels. I knew it wasn't The Old Man and the Sea. That was the only, that, that was like, <laughs> that. that's incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other is like, who really knows? Yeah, but it works for her. Maybe she does really know her Hemingway novels. So going into Friday, we have Shannon Delaney, a librarian from Tustin, California. Jeff Jetton, a data analyst and accordion teacher. It's an interesting combo. From Nashville, Tennessee. And Felicity Flesher, a screenwriter from Studio City, California, whose one-day cash winnings total 15200 and we get the Jeopardy round categories, West Coast State Higher Ed, The Code of Hammurabi, Weapons of the War, TV Transports, Have You Heard, and The Word is Love. I gotta think Jeff's description as a data analyst and accordion teacher is kind of like an occupational mullet. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, he's he's straight-laced 9 to 5, but once he clocks out, boy, he lets loose <laughs> with his with his polkas and everything. I'm not making fun of him. I'm a band yeah. teacher. They're, I cannot make fun of anybody for their job that they do, but like it's just that that is like you said, that is a that is an interesting combination there. Yeah. I enjoyed the weapons of war, weapons of the war category. Mm, me too, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Not that war is fun, but... Yeah. They got tripped up on uh, the first clue at the $200 level. The clue was an artillery piece called the Swamp Angel, which shelled Charleston. And I think at that point, they were not totally... They weren't... Jeff, at least, was not confident about what the... What they like, were the asking The conceit for. of the category was. Felicity rang in and said, what is the Civil War? Got the rebound. But it's a small swing because it's a $200 clue. They got all the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did well. They did well in this category, in this round. Uh, 
very few actually i don't know if there were any incorrect oh just one or two incorrect responses and, and only a couple triple stumpers mm-hmm. yeah. um however one of the misses well, i guess i gave it away uh was at the uh very end of the round pick number 30 felicity got it it's the daily double uh, it's at the $1,000 level of West Coast State Higher Ed. She wagered 1300 of her 3800 uh, Jeff was in the lead at 5000 and so was Shannon, also at $5,000. Uh, so she was betting to get 100 ahead. She gets the clue, this school in Spokane uses the Jesuit motto Ad Majorum Dei Glorium for the greater glory of God. She's not sure. She takes a guess. She knows Spokane's in Washington, so she guesses what is the University of Washington. Uh, but that is Gonzaga University, which I got, but I was almost... I I don't know what I would have said if I'd been on stage, because uh, a good friend of mine went to school in Spokane at a small Christian university called Whitworth, and I went and visited him, visited him there. So my only experience in Spokane is at a different university than Gonzaga, which is also like uh, Christian focused. Not that Gonzaga necessarily is, it's but it's a Jesuit school. So like when I saw that, my first and primary thought was Whitworth, and then I was like, wait, there's no way they're asking for that school. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, yeah, that that's that's a bit too deep. I, yeah. I I'm pretty sure they're asking for Gonzaga, so mm-hmm. which they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she gets it wrong. That's okay. Means that going into the double Jeopardy round, she is at uh, 2,500, and Jeff and Shannon are at 5,000. So uh, Felicity gets to pick from African Geography, Atlantis, You're Quite the Pair, Nobel Literary Nominees, Shooting the Godfather Movies, and Time to Pay the Tab, T-A-B in quotation marks. I uh, didn't know much about Atlantis and was able to do fine in the category, but also learned some things. So that was fun. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun category. I enjoyed yeah. that. There was a triple stumper in the African geography category at the $800 level. Of Morocco's four imperial cities, this capital is the only one on the coast. Oh, yes. I knew I wanted to talk about that. That's Rabat. We talked about that last week. We talked about that last week. That's yes. right. It was one of the Barbary states. Yeah. Well, I guess the like sultanate of Morocco in general. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the $400 clue in that same uh, African geography category was one of my pet peeves, which is a map where I don't need it highlighted, but they highlight it. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yep>. uh, <laughs> when Marco Polo told stories about Africa, he most likely confused two different places in describing the city of Mogadishu. He referred to it by the similar sounding name of this island, 1,000 miles away. I guess I didn't need a map at all, but they provided a map and highlighted sure. Madagascar. So the question was, here's Madagascar. Do you know what it is? Um, Which at least it was at the $400 level. At least. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We get daily double number two at the $1,600 level of Nobel literary nominees. It's the 14th pick. Jeff finds it and wagers 2000 of his 11,800. He's in the lead at that point. Uh, Felicity has 3,700. Shannon has 7,400. And he gets the clue, these two pioneers in psychology were nominated for literature. 
1936 and one in 1954. And he correctly responds, who are Freud and Jung, which mm-hmm. I also got, although I was not as sure of Jung as I was of Freud. Yeah, which... no, um, I, I know Freud always gets like, he's like the biggest name that we know, but Jung was like incredibly influential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And doesn't, doesn't get the like, I guess, spotlight sort of that Freud does still in kind of the general knowledge world. Mm-hmm. But uh, very important. Oh, yeah. I studied a little young in grad school. Um, I just did not remember that he had received the Nobel Prize for Literature. Sometimes people who receive such a prize, I'm trying to think of an example, end up not being as well-remembered, you know, right. in, sure. in history. So I was trying to think if there was some other sort of better-known 1950s psychologist, yeah. potentially. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Anyway. And we get the third Daily Double. Uh, it is the last clue that's revealed. It's pick number 28, so we left a couple more in the African geography category un- unrevealed. Jeff finds it, and he wagers 700 of his 17,400. So if he had gotten it correct, he could have put him, he'd put himself in a position to be in a lock game mm-hmm. uh, without having to risk terribly much. The clue is the British South Africa Company's Fort Salisbury later became Harare, capital of this present country. He's not sure. He's geographically pretty close. He guesses what is Mozambique, uh, but the correct response is Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. which again goes back to my Boer War. Yes. Deep dive. So that's two daily doubles this week. Yeah. Memorizing those world capitals mm-hmm. is... Onerous. It's essential. And it is both onerous and absolutely essential and will pay off for you. Yeah, that's a bummer. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Jeff is in a commanding lead, but not a lock game with 16,700. Shannon has 9,000. Felicity has 8,500. She's in third place. And we get the category Historic Americans. And the clue is... In 1904, this Hungarian-born newspaper publisher wrote, Our Republic and its press will rise or fall together. Felicity, in third place, has wagered everything and has written, Who is Pulitzer? That is correct. Uh, Mm -hmm. So she's up to 17,000. Shannon has wagered 7,000 and has written, Who is Herschel? Uh, that's incorrect. So she drops down to 2,000. And Jeff, with a wager of 1301, has written, Who is Hearst? Thank you, mm-hmm. William Randolph Hearst, another important newspaper man. But uh, the Hungarian born might have clued you in that that name doesn't fit or that life story. So he drops down to 15,399. And Felicity, um, for the first time in a couple weeks, Alex notes, is a two-day winner with a total of 32,200 and we'll see her again after the college championship which is college tournament college championship what do they call it i think they call it championship yeah uh we'll see her again after the college championship which will be taking place over the next couple of weeks yeah and not to like you know rub salt in a wound or anything but knowing your world capitals meant the difference between jeff having a lock game and Jeff not winning. Right. So. We should take a moment to plug our Patreon. You can uh, find us if you're willing to uh, support us at any level at um, patreon.com slash potentpotables. Um, 
we have a number of different levels from there from uh, $3 on up. Um, so we would love your support there. Um, at all levels, you get access to our bonus content. Um, our GOAT episode is up there. We're going to get um, some outtakes on there. And at the higher levels, we start getting you involved in um, choosing deep dive topics and, uh, and that kind of thing. So go check it out. So do you have guesses about the deep dive? Do I have guesses about the deep dive? You know I do. I was going to guess the Ruth mm. uh, question from Books of the Bible, but you spent so much time talking about it. Yeah. Couldn't be. Couldn't be. It's not Ruth, although that is a great book of the Bible. It's my wife's favorite. Yeah. It's also not Luke, which was a triple stumper on Monday. Yeah. Like we've said, lots of Bible questions. Mm-hmm. Lots of Bible questions. Uh, are you talking about Treasure Island? I'm not talking about Treasure Island, although that would be fun. And I'm guessing you're also not talking about Ben-Hur because you already... Because uh, I already gave you the You already did. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. It's I just get excited about Ben-Hur. <laughs> I can guarantee that that is the first and probably last time <laughs> that I will hear that sentence in my life. I just get excited about Ben-Hur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, my last guess, uh, are you talking about the Teutonic Knights? I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, I, would, I don't think, I, I didn't know much about the Teutonic Knights. Maybe I should. Maybe someday you'll do the Teutonic Knights. Maybe um, I will. Yeah. All right, so we're going back to Wednesday's game. Um, and this is a little out there for a deep dive topic, but stay with me. So there was a triple stumper at the $1,000 level of the going pronoun category i purposely did not guess that because i was like there's no way you could talk about this okay (laughs) all right so so we reached a little bit um so the clue was biblically speaking it's the nominative pronoun of the second person singular and nobody correctly responded what is thou my gosh you're such a nerd (laughs) this is um i mean you've you've all have heard me nerd out about um the history of the English language before. Um, This is a deep dive on the topic of English personal pronouns, specifically English second person personal pronouns. (laughs) Thou and you. (laughs) Oh, man. I am on the edge of my seat. (laughs) I mean, this this clue sort of, um, like, rang a little bell for me that I that I had at some point heard some, some really interesting stuff about how language developed in uh, around second person personal, personal pronouns. I, I will specifically note, I mean, there's another whole interesting pronoun conversation about third person personal pronouns and uh, gender neutral pronouns and singular they and all, all kinds of stuff with that. I'm not doing any of that today. <laughs> this is, this, we're talking just about second person with a brief digression into first person. So uh, you don't need middle school grammar again, but pronouns take the place of nouns. Personal pronouns um, refer to a person or a group of people. We have first, second, and third person. So first in standard, modern American English, I, me, my, mine. Um, Second person is like you and your, yours. Third is he, him, his, and she, her, hers. So they have person, first, second, and third. They have number. Um, So I just did all the singular pronouns, but we have singular and plural 
So I versus we. Um, some have gender, so he versus she. They also have case. Those were the distinctions I was making with I versus me versus my. And we're focusing on second person pronouns today. So going back to Old English, um, they actually did things a little differently in terms of number and also a little bit in terms of case. They had singular and they had plural. They also had dual pronouns. So you had a, a specific set of pronouns for referring to a pair of people. Hmm. They also had one additional case beyond what we have. They used uh, subjective accusative. Um, hmm. Accusative is a, what we're probably what you're probably thinking of when I say objective pronouns in, in modern English. Genitive, which sort of relates to possession usually, and um, and the dative. So in the modern English sentence, he threw me the ball, me and me, the, the word me, we are using the objective in a language that has the dative case, you would use the dative for that. Okay. Okay. So the, so the old English second person pronouns, stay with me for a second. I'm not going to read you all of the, all of the dual ones. <laughs> okay. Stay with me for this entire deep dive. Um, okay. So the singular, the singular second person pronouns, if you are talking to one person, it is, or the, depending on on uh, grammatical case, and those are spelled with um, we've I've talked about this before with a letter called a uh, thorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Each pronoun has has four versions for the four different cases, but you don't need to hear them all. For the plural, it's ye and eo, and for the dual, it's yit and inch. But you might have heard there in the singular, you heard thu and the. Um, in the plural, ye and eo. Um, and you can hear there the roots of thou and you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ones that start with a th, thou and thee, the ones that are related to thou and thee, those are the singular second person pronouns. The ones that sound like you and ye are the plural second person pronouns. And you is only used in the accusative. So if you're addressing a group of people, it is always ye. Um, or ye. ye. Yeah, it's it's yay with like an an old English G, which that's a whole other conversation about how those how those consonants evolve over time. So the evolution of English is complicated and it's nonlinear. But by the time we get to Middle English, um, the whole dual pronoun thing has vanished, and so so there there are the singular and the plural second person pronouns. Um, so thou, thee, thy, thine. If you're speaking to one person. Ye, eo, eor, yoris. And um, how they are spelled varies because in all of the history of the English language, like standardized spelling doesn't come up until way later. We do start to see some letter Y, um, but sometimes they're spelled with a character that is carried over from a previous script that looks like kind of like a droopy letter and it's called yog. Sometimes they're spelled like E-O-W and you can sort of think about like how we, how you would pronounce that trying to sound it out and it's like E-O, you know, mm-hmm. you, it sounds enough like you um, that you can hear the relationship there. Yeah. So we think of Old English as everything pre-1066. Um, Middle English we think of as 1066 to 1470 or so. And after that, we're getting into like early modern. So some point in Middle English... It, like that 1066 to 4, 1470 era, 
you starts to be used instead of ye. Remember, ye is like the is the the subject. You is the object, always only for more than one person. But you starts to get used across the board for um, like getting rid of that that case distinction. And initially, it seems to be like a copying error. Um, at least what's, that's what the people at the Oxford English Dictionary think. But over time, language changes over time. And so eventually, you becomes appropriate as the subject, but still always referring to plural groups of people. And a single person, the singular pronoun is still always thou. So you for a group, thou for an individual. Hmm. Quick sidebar while we're on it. All those eth and est verbs, this is like a pet peeve for me because people sort of throw them on when they're trying to make something sound old. Um, mm-hmm. the, the est endings, the, the ones that end with st, are always for second person. The th ones are always for third person. So thou goest, but the lady doth protest too much. Mm. Yeah, that's like how the, um, how the conjugations that comes to us from like how the old English verbs were conjugated. Interesting. Okay, so we have um, you for plural, thou for singular, but this starts to change due to the influence of French um, and something called the TV distinction. Um, so the TV distinction refers to tu and vos in Latin, which are uh, mirrored in French in the French language. Uh, the French language pronouns tu and vous. Uh, so vous is plural, um, but vous is also used as a formal version of the singular pronoun, right? If you're talking to Mm -hmm. your boss or your teacher or whoever, vous. And tu is for somebody you can address informally. Because of the influence of French language and culture on English language and culture, it starts to become customary to, in English, to address superiors, starting initially with like royalty and aristocracy, as you, so using like a plural form of address, but still using thou for speaking to equals. Hmm. One more quick tangent. You may be thinking now of um, Queen Victoria saying, we are not amused, um, mm-hmm. or you may not, which she may not have ever said. Right. But that that we, um, the use of we by monarchs, the, the royal we, also known as the majestic plural, sort of... <laughs> Fits nice. in here, yes. Uh, it is what's called a gnosism, again, from a from a Latin pronoun, uh, uh, first-person plural pronoun. Um, and that's connected to the TV distinction also. Um, the idea hmm. is, like, a person of a high office speaking in their official capacity uses the plural to refer to themselves to kind of denote, like, the dignity of their office and the formality of the speech. Hmm. So in English, people start using you to refer to aristocrats and royalty, but over time, you becomes more and more prevalent as a form of address. It's perceived as the more polite and respectful way to speak. And so it sort of, there's this sort of slide of like, if you're not quite sure if it's like too familiar to address someone as thou, just just go with you, which used to be only for plural, but now is like plural or polite, respectful, formal. deferential. Gotcha. Yeah, formal. Okay. And so thou becomes like the 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 situations in which you can use the term thou become more and more constrained to equals and then just to family and then just to children and people that you're trying to be rude to. Um, The use of thou as an individual form of address drops off pretty sharply and basically disappears by like the late 17th century. 
except in certain regional dialects. Um, you can find some, some uh, rural English and Scottish areas with, um, with strong regional dialects that preserve thou. But, but other than that, you know, throughout, throughout much of the English-speaking world, the use of thou drops off and you takes over completely. Um, the other exception here is that you may remember from, like, movies or books um, that Quakers, members of the Religious Society of Friends, used thou and thee. And uh, I knew this about the Quakers, and up until I started researching this, I assumed if you don't know that thou used to be the informal and that it dropped out of use because it was perceived as like excessively informal. You may mistakenly assume that that was considered, was considered very formal, which is how it's sort of flipped around to be perceived now. Right. Right. And so I had sort of assumed that it was like, Oh, the Quakers are like being so like respectful and hold every human being in such high esteem. And I'd like sort of made up a whole theology in my head. I was like, Oh, they believe in like <laughs> the inner light of God in each person. So like you have to, you know, address them with like utmost respect. That's not the way that they're thinking about it at all. They're preserving this very familiar, very kind of egalitarian form of address, preferentially over the more hierarchical and formal you, which started as a way to like, preserve like class distinctions right they're trying to mm -hmm. they're trying to do away with those uh they have this practice of plain speech they call it as part of their religion yeah and they're rejecting this practice that was used to differentiate like by rank in terms of what by differentially using those pronouns so their use of that was about you know like we're all you know equal and intimate and familiar as humans Quakers continue using thou and thee into the 19th century, but eventually even Quaker use of thou phases out in everyday speech. And now in modern English, you is used for singular and plural, subjective and objective. So where we differentiate in the first person between I, we, me, us, like imagine those like in a little grid, right? Singular, plural, subject of the verb, object of the verb. The second person grid is like you, 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 you. Um, we don't mm. we don't differentiate those at all. We have a separate your and yours for possessive. Um, right. But you has is taking over the heavy lifting for um, for numerous pronouns that we used to that we used to use regularly. So you, which used to be only for plural, has grown to be for singular or plural, and that's a linguistic problem that comes up over and over again. And so the, all of these various regional and colloquial second person plural pronouns start to come into popular usage. The best known one, of course, is the Southern y'all. And uh, relatedly, the all y'all. My husband makes fun of me because he says Northerners get obsessed with like this distinction between y'all and all y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I use those all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all y'all comes up when you're when you need to be clear that like there are subsets within the group, and you ref you need to be clear that you're addressing the larger group, <laughs> not like not a specific like couple or family within a group, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, like, I've come to I've actually come to say taken a saying y'all and all y'all instead of like hey guys or mm -hmm. you guys. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna get to guys in a second. Okay, <laughs> but yes. Uh, I like y'all. Y'all is good. It's inclusive. And I was, as I was thinking about y'all and all y'all, 
and the fact that there used to be a separate set of pronouns when you were addressing just two people, um, that felt like kind of a parallel to me, mm-hmm. interesting kind of parallel that like when you're addressing a plural group, sometimes you need to differentiate like who exactly are you addressing? So yeah, the Southern y'all is the, is the best known uh, second person plural. There's the appellation you, you which is like a contraction <laughs> of you ones. Um, and the, Pit, the, uh, the Pittsburgh yins comes from that too. Uh, Philadelphia uses use. If you're in England, the most common is you lot. And then we have you guys, right? Which is its own fascinating little tangent. Going back to the 1606 gunpowder plot. Really? Yeah. Okay. So 1606, Guy Fox attempts to blow up the Houses of Parliament. You're a trivia person. You know this. He's caught and executed. And Parliament passes the observance of 5th November Act, establishing a day of commemoration and celebration. And part of the celebration is that Guy Fox is burned in effigy. Mm-hmm. Also, whatever other enemies of the day there are also are often burned in, in effigy on the 5th of November, um, which is uh, colloquially Guy Fawkes Day. Okay, so this practice starts, and they start to refer to the effigies as guys. Like, there's, okay. you've got a Guy Fox guy, and you've got, like, a Pope guy. Okay. Because they would burn the Pope in effigy also. Well, yeah, of course. Like, like yeah. Mm-hmm. So initially, it's just these effigies, but eventually, at some point, there's, like, there start to be like groups of like mischief makers and or rioters, depending on whose history you're reading in the early 19th century, who are like making trouble on the 5th of November and they call themselves guys. Hmm. And eventually it comes into, uh, into usage that the term guys to refer to like bad men who are up to no good in general, like ruffians and scoundrels, they're guys. But then there's, like, this sort of slide where Guy starts to refer not just to, like, bad men who are doing bad stuff, but just to kind of rough, like, working class men. And then all men, but adult men. And then eventually we start seeing it used for all, like, human males, including, like, boys, like, infant, like, boy babies. And then sometime in the mid-20th century... Still controversially, it starts to get used in a gender-neutral way, which we are in the middle of now. And I do it. I can't seem to shake it. Maybe this deep yeah. dive will. Maybe this deep dive will be the thing that does. I'm pretty sure that, like last week or the week before, I said on the podcast something like, "It's okay, guys. I vetted him." Um, with, regard to, <laughs> with regard to your feminist credentials, Kyle. I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. That is ironic. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so that that's where we get guys. So yeah, that is that's the story of you guys. Um, so over that over time, as the term "thou" came to be seen as archaic, paradoxically, it started to be perceived as like more respectful. The reason that the Jeopardy clue used the phrase "biblically speaking" is that um, the King James version preserves the Greek and Hebrew second person singular versus plural by using thou for singular mm-hmm. and ye for plural. Okay. So whenever someone addresses God or whenever God addresses someone, the words thou and thee are used and uh, you and ye are only used for, for groups of people. Mm. So God isn't addressed as thou in order to be respectful in the King James Version. God is addressed as thou because God is one 
although God is also three, but you know, in Christian theology, but no sure. need to get into that. That actually also could be a separate pronoun conversation. Right. So, but eventually nobody remembers this history, the singular, plural, formal, and informal distinction and all the, all the history behind this is forgotten. Eventually it comes to be that like this biblical language seems ancient and fancy and it's in our old literature. And so religious traditions start to use thou in prayer and in liturgy and in hymnody as like kind of a sign of respect toward God. It's not about singular versus plural anymore. It's about using something that sort of feels like it has like the gravitas of ages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is paradoxical because this, the reason this language is, is archaic is because the use of the word thou declined due to it being perceived as disrespectful. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, and that is the story of you and thou. I, I will give you credit. That was far more interesting than I thought it would be. Right? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you were so skeptical at the beginning. I was definitely really excited to hear about second person pronouns. <laughs> That's what I get up in the morning for. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> um, are you ready for a quiz? Oh, you know I'm ready for a quiz. All right. <laughs> the category heading for this quiz is pronouns. Okay. All right. Uh, question one. Used as a play title by Edward Albee, a song title by Billie Holiday, Beyonce, and Vitamin C, among others. Not together, separate songs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That would be a song. (laughs) What what common phrase uses the first person singular pronoun in the objective, reflexive, and subjective cases? Well, Billy, Billy Holiday. I should know Billy Holiday. I don't know. I'm not going to get there. I'm, I'm swirling through a lot of different, like words i'm i'm just gonna i'm gonna pass all right the correct answer here is me myself and i oh yeah the i did know that was an edward albee type play mm-hmm. yeah uh, I, I did not I, know that was a billy holiday song yeah i i had to i had to look it up because the only one i could remember was vitamin c <laughs> because i yeah. only know the pop music 1998 um, as, as we have covered many times yes um uh, right, let's just move on all right, on, we, on we go uh what 2013 film which was nominated for an oscar for best picture and won an oscar for best original screenplay stars joaquin phoenix whose love interest scarlett johansson never appears on screen well, given that it's a pronoun was this was it that long ago? I, I'm going to say her. You are correct. It is her. Man, I really thought that was much more recent. Gosh. <laughs> nice job. Yeah, uh, he he falls in love with like his AI. Um, yeah, his, his, yeah, yeah, his like, Siri. Like, yeah, his, yes. Yeah. All right, question three. In French, two is the second person singular informal pronoun. Well, vous is used for plural or formal usage. In Spanish, there are informal singular and plural second person pronouns, tu and vosotros or uh, vosotras, respectively. 
And there are also formal singular and plural second person pronouns. What is that formal second person? Let's go with singular, but I would also accept the plural version of the oh. pronoun. Okay, those are usted and ustedes. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. All right. Um, so question four. It is probably apocryphal that Louis XIV said this well-known quotation, but it has remained part of his legacy because it so aptly sums up the centralization of power that characterized his reign. In French or English, what is that famous phrase? Oh, man. I just saw this. Oh, this, in, this is like this week. Oh, is it I am the state? Yes, it's I am the yeah. state. Oh, okay. Nice job. Oof. Oh. <laughs> All right, so you're at 30 points going into question five. Okay. All right. While singular they seems to have finally gained pretty widespread acceptance, there have been many other attempts at introducing a gender-neutral third-person singular personal pronoun. One notable such pronoun, Thawne, was coined in 1858 by Charles Crozat Converse. And although it never gained widespread popularity, it was championed by a now-defunct two-named publisher who is better known for their encyclopedias than for the dictionaries that included Thawne from 1903 until they dropped it in their 1961 edition of the dictionary. Name the publisher. Okay, two named publisher that had encyclopedias and is now defunct. I can only think of one publishing company with two names that I'm I, 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 that is tickling my mind as, as though it doesn't really do that anymore. And that's Rand McNally. Mm, that's not a bad guess. It is Funk and Wagnalls. Funk and Wagnalls. Yeah. They're like defunct ish enough, but I really liked that it had funk in it. Yeah. No, <laughs> that if I'd known it, that would have been a really clever clue. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are most recent publication is in 1996 and they're like, like the intellectual property has been like divided up and sold off. Um, sure. And so there, like it exists like various kind of there, there are like little pieces of funk and waggles sort of still in circulation. Like, uh, like, you know, uh, encyclopedia Britannica has rights. It looks like, and like, I, I don't even know. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Funk and, funk and waggles really push, uh, really push for Thawne. Try to, hmm. try to make Thawne happen. Stop trying to make Thon happen. <laughs> uh, thank you for getting my mean girls joke. Um, You're welcome. It's probably a contraction of that one. Interesting. Um, yeah. All right. So you have 30 points. And the final category is American poetry. You. All right, <laughs> <laughs> Kyle. Still going to bet 25. Okay. All right, for 55 points. This poem from a seminal 1855 collection is large. It contains multitudes. Specifically, 1,346 lines divided into 52 parts. Name the poem. Okay. 1860 collection? What? Um... 
I feel like I know this, and I'm you, gonna. You know it. Eighteen? No, it can't be eighteen sixty. Ah, no, that's not right. Um, but talk, talk me through it. Well, I was, I mean, I was trying to think of like pronouns and, and poets from that time. It's not. Um, then, oh, Captain, my Captain came to mind, but that wasn't. That wouldn't have been in eighteen sixty. That had been later. Do you want it? Do you want a, a hint? Sure. All right, let me give you context for Contain Multitudes. Here are the lines that come before. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. I'm not going to get to it. All right, this is um, Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. Song of Myself. Ah, I knew it was Whitman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) All right. I promise I will not put poetry as the final again until at, least, until at least July. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Got to rotate our final topics around here. I haven't had a poetry final, have I? Maybe I No, have. I would have complained about it a lot before. <laughs> yeah, sorry to do that to you. It's all right. It is something I should know. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was not going to be able to work my way there, no matter how mm-hmm. much time I took. Yeah. One of my favorite choral singing experiences is uh, Vaughn Williams' Sea Symphony and all the texts are, uh, are Whitman. It's so good. Yes. Feels a little, it's a, it's a little overwrought. I mean, it, it's, it's, Vaughn, it's a Vaughn Williams setting of Whitman. It gets, it gets overwrought. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I love Vaughn Williams. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can get me next time. Yeah. Be sure to tune in next week when... Uh, I give a quiz entirely on pop music of not 1998. <laughs> yeah, that would be fair. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and hopefully hopefully our listeners were able to uh, get there. We're able to pick up that hint. Mm-hmm. And right. the very obvious hint when you actually read lines from the poem. So... We all have our weak spots. This is getting like (laughs) weird because like we know each other's strengths and weaknesses so well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of hard to write a quiz when it's like, well, do I, I want to write this question, but do I purposely put it in here knowing that they're probably going to get it wrong? Yeah. Or things that are like sort of obscure and niche, but we just both know that, uh, that we're both interested in that. Yeah. All right. But hopefully, hopefully our listeners got got some of those. Speaking of our listeners, thank you so much for uh, for listening. Um, it is very fun to share this with you in the in the midst of pretty horrible global situation. But here yeah. we are. We're here. We're talking about Jeopardy, and we're going to be back to talk about Jeopardy again next week. Be sure to uh, subscribe and review on whatever program or client you use to find our podcast. Uh, leave us a rating too. That that helps us out with the algorithms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you could also help us out just by telling your friends, mm-hmm. bringing in your. Uh, maybe maybe you have friends. I've just heard of a, a couple who doesn't normally watch Jeopardy, but now that they're stuck at home, they watch it every night. Mm-hmm. Bring them in. Yeah, mention it on your Zoom happy hour. Um... That's right. <laughs> We mentioned our Patreon earlier, um, but let me mention it again. You can check us out on patreon.com uh, slash potentpodables if you're willing to throw us a couple bucks a month. 
Um, you can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables. You can find us on Twitter at Potent Potables One. Our email is potentpodablescast at gmail.com. And we're on the World Wide Web at potentpod.com. And we'll be back with you next week with another week of Jeopardy. Uh, I'm going to talk about the college championships. So uh, until then, wash your hands and stay in your house. And, <laughs> <laughs> and may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Okay.